welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, this is Christmas Eve. Someone just found out. I wondered why everybody had red on. And the world as a whole is going to be celebrating a special moment on the calendar. We've, we've learned this pretty well from Hallmark. Um, my best friend in life and ministry, Doc Ryan, is here. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to uh, insult him by, by verbally rebuking him for not letting me know that he was coming so I could utilize all of his gifts and skills. It's about how he rolls now. He's like, if I'm just going to show up like incognito, Steve won't use me. Well, ha-ha, maybe I'll use you. <laughs> and one of the reasons that we're so close is we have so many um, unique, unified viewpoints of things. And really, honestly, what is it? Just kingdom and biblical. And birthdays scripturally, Hebraically, are one of the most narcissistic things that anybody could ever do. If you don't know, you're at Beloved Church. <laughs> Sorry, I should have said that. Hey, at Beloved Church, we're really unique around here. We say the truth and people really don't like it. We've been, I've been running folks off for years. There are thousands of people that don't come here. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying that a lot of people don't want truth, especially in our society. Right. You can't even tell people what bathroom to go into anymore. You'll get a lawsuit. And so we, we hate the truth in our society. So one of the things that makes this room full is that there's a bunch of wackos that actually want the truth, and so they show up every Sunday, and then I give it to them. So I didn't, I didn't prep some of you that are new to the environment, we're gonna, every once in a while I'm gonna say a truth and you're gonna be like, oh, where'd that come from? Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse, verses 31 and 32, says that he was talking to the disciples. So first of all, the context is discipleship, so most people don't get it. But he was talking to the disciples and he said, if you continue in my word, continue, you didn't just hear it once and like, that was awesome. But if you continue in my word, then you will truly, really be my disciples. This is about, I don't know, maybe, maybe between 1% and 5% of the body of Christ. The majority of the body of Christ is, is churchianity. And churchianity is you kind of just show up and check the box and, and you make all of your spiritual feels feel better. And I'm okay with that. If that's, if that's you... Welcome, we got a purple chair for you. You're, you're welcome to hang out here and do all the churchianity you want. I'm just letting you know that Jesus was saying, here's what's gonna happen. 
If you continue to hear the word, if you continue to listen to me say the truth and, and hear some of the hard things, eventually you're going to have to make a choice. You either let those truths change you, and that change specifically is freedom. It's liberty. The change that truth brings into your life is liberty. Now, liberty in Christ is much different than liberty with a MAGA hat and an American flag. I preach in those environments all the time. I appreciate patriotism, and I'm happy to be invited to the, to the freedom rallies all over the world. But I'm going for a different reason. There's a different liberty. There's a greater liberty. There's a more powerful liberty than is promised to you in the Constitution. And then you'll know the truth. If you continue and you continue and you continue and you hear the truth and you don't reject it and you hear the truth and you don't reject it and you let it go, it will eventually sink down on the inside of you and then it will become a part of you, which is no. That word for no in the Greek is the word that's used for the sexual union between a man and a wife on their wedding night. It's the same word. That's how much we're supposed to know the truth. You're supposed to be more intimate with the truth than anything else in your life. And the truth is rejected in our society. That truth is what makes you free, but you have to continue. And the continuing part is what I'm going to challenge you with because right between hearing the truth and then being set free by the truth, this distance right here is called mad. You're angry. This is the angry distance between hearing the truth and actually being changed by the truth. Because nobody wants to be told. It, it is totally okay for the average person to be a jerk, be mean, be cantankerous, have a bad attitude. They are absolutely okay with that. But don't you dare tell them. In other words, in, in our world today, there is, there is a narcissism attached to being a broken person and almost bragging about it. You want to be a social media influencer? Be the most jacked up person in Hollywood. Tattoo your face, say the most terrible things, do the most terrible things, and you'll have millions of followers. Say the truth, and nationally they'll attack you. And you have to choose. Popularity is easy. Just do what the masses are doing. Think how the masses think. Dress how the masses dress. Go along with the crowd. The problem is all the lemmings are headed to the edge of the cliff. The narcissism that's attached to birthdays has sometime, somehow seeped into holidays. And this is something that I've purposed in my own life that I'm rejecting all this. I finally figured out how to get my birthday off of Facebook. And I had, I had one of the best birthdays this year ever. I had so many people text me like, I didn't know it was your birthday. Ha <laughs> 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 ha. The only reason you knew is because of Facebook. 
And I, I don't want to be celebrated on my birthday. My, I, went, I got into bed on my birthday, and Kay's like, so how was your birthday? I'm like, it was great. I went, had lunch with mom. She didn't even fawn over me. She was normal. <laughs> I, I went to two or three meetings, did kingdom stuff. None of them even knew. I went to grace group. My own grace group didn't even know it was my birthday. I was like, Got in bed like 11.30, Kay's like, eh, it was your birthday. I'm like, it was awesome, nobody sang to me. <laughs> and then the next day, someone tried to sing to me. I said, like, don't wreck it, this is, this is one of the best. And we, I don't think we realize it, but we carry these things into something that was supposed to be done scripturally, which was to mark divine moments. There's, there's multiple feasts in the Hebrew calendar that the, that the, that the Jewish folks are required to keep. And, and some of these names you're super familiar with because Pentecostalism came from the day of Pentecost, which was a celebration. And, and the Sabbath and, and Passover, these, these are things that your Christian ears perk up to because these were holidays that marked really important things that happened for the people of God. And they would actually mark their lives by these things. If I wasn't an American, if I grew up in that society, then I would say, I was born 14 days or whatever, 12 days before the advent of the coming of the Messiah. I wouldn't have a birthday as in a calendar day that was, a, that was assigned to me. I would be 12 days before the Messiah. And I would always know that when we celebrate the birth of the Messiah, 12 days before that is when my mom sacrificed her own body to bring me into the kingdom. And it would be marked by the things of God and not marked by the things of Steve. And we've changed this, even so much to tell you that there are, in America today, there, are, there is probably approximately 100 million people who call themselves Christians. Listen closely. There's 100 million people in America today this moment, who call themselves Christians. And they are not gathered together with the saints on Sunday because they're doing Christmas stuff. They're baking Christmas cookies. They're making Christmas turkey. They're wrapping Christmas presents which means that Christ has left Christmas. And I don't know where everybody in this room is, but I would exhort you, anything that Christ leaves ends up being death and dark and destructive. If Christ leaves Kay and I's marriage, we're done. Mm -hmm. 
If Christ leaves my mentality, we're done. The moment I decide that my politics are more important than Jesus, I'm done. The moment I decide that money is more important to me than Jesus, I'm done. Now it might be a slow fade, which is why people do it all the time. They take Christ out of their lives, and they're cool for a year or two or five. And then slowly things just start to unravel. And they go down the toilet, and they wonder what happened. And I want today to mark for you the, a hindrance so that you don't ever have to wonder. I want you to come and behold him, the one who's worthy of all of our crowns, and stay in a place of beholding him. What you look at, you become. That's why the glowing screen that flashes at you is so attractive, because it's trying to turn you into something. But if you behold him, you will be like him. And eventually you'll know him just as he is. And then you'll never want to leave. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39, these are kind of the Christmas verses. Don't flip into holiday mode. I want you to hear this like you've never heard. In those days, it starts off, which is context, and I'm going to do everything I can to not unplug right here and spend an hour doing background context on in those days. But I'll tell you that they were jacked up days, jacked up days. Politically, this region was a nightmare. Herod, who was the, was the king when Jesus was born, literally was crowned the king of the Jews. He was a, a Jewish adherent. There, there, he was positioned there by the Roman governing authority as a person who had the religion of the region and had the control of the region. If you are not paralleling American stuff, I don't know how to help you. Assigned by the government because he would fit the best. Their politics are as jacked up as our politics. And this is the time that Jesus came into the world. The, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times in Rome. They were expanding. There was, there was a lot of power. There was a lot of pomp. There was a lot of circumstances. There was a lot of wealth. And there was a lot of destructive stuff at the same time. Does that look like today? And here we have a story of Mary. Likely a 13 or 14 year old girl. And I know that we probably don't have a grid for this because we're Americans. But please, lay your American ism down so you can hear the truth. God's seen a 13-year-old girl who was pure, who was strong, who was loyal, allegiant to God. And God determined 
that the fate of the world would be in a 13-year-old girl's hands. What if God had to do that today? I can assure you that 13-year-old girl would likely not be in public school. They would likely not even be parented by the average Christian. We don't raise our kids on the scripture anymore. We raise our kids. The average parenting philosophy is, I'm just going to, my parents were bad parents, I'm doing the opposite. Just so you know, the opposite of bad is not good. The opposite of bad can be just a worse bad. A 13-year-old girl, minding her own business, having a relationship with God, trying to be who God created her to be. And Gabriel, the archangel of heaven, shows up. Says, hail! And she was a bit shocked at the greeting of the angel. And you probably remember the story. The angel says, hey, God picked you. And she obviously was of incredible humility because she basically is like, why me? What's special about me? And I would say that a response like that is one of the reasons. The moment you think you're special, you've taken some of the grace away from your life. And the angel explains the story to Mary. And at the end of it, Mary says, all right, be it unto me according to your word. And a lot of people miss this, but what she basically said was, I believe it. 13-year-old girl. There's 63-year-old people in this room that won't believe the word, that won't believe the very voice of God. And this 13-year-old girl, with the fate of the world resting on her soldiers, said, be it unto me according to your word, and save the world. In those days... A brand new pregnant Mary who was espoused to her husband, likely 17-year-old guy, just trying to navigate life. A man of great honor, though, because when he was given the chance to out his pregnant fiance, he chose rather to suffer the shame and follow the instructions of heaven. So now we have a couple, 17-year-old dude, 13-year-old girl, who are so committed to God, so committed to God's word, that they're, really, they're willing to stand in defiance and faith against the whole world. Can God find those people today? Mary goes down to see her aunt, her Aunt Elizabeth, who just happened to be six months pregnant with a miraculous pregnancy just like Mary. And she goes to Elizabeth's house 
in those days. That's the context. And notice she hurried. It's another unique trait about Mary is that the Lord's business was important to her. It wasn't her hobby. It wasn't a part-time job. She was all in. All in. Thank God she was all in. That's what got you here. Verse 40, where she entered the home of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, her aunt. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby leaped in her womb. This would be real easy for me to unplug right here and get into the biblical definition of life and have a whole message on the atrocities associated with abortion that calls a child not a child. I won't, but I could. Because the Bible makes it real clear that a baby in the womb is a baby. If you can't read, baby. Baby in a womb, baby out of a womb. In Greek, same word, brethos. Same word. In other words, God doesn't care about zip code or location. A baby is a baby. And what's unique about this baby is the first person to ever recognize the Savior of the world was a baby that in today's society we can chop up and throw away. Thank God Jesus didn't come in 2023 in America. He might not have been appreciated the way he was that day. Verse 43, and why am I so honored? Oh, I'm sorry, verse 42, in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth knew that something was different. I'm gonna come back to this point in a bit, but when you meet Jesus, when you authentically, sincerely Meet Jesus. Something's different. Something's different. You know it. It's not the class at the church that your parents made you go to. It's not the, the prayer that you said at the end of vacation Bible school. It's not that one really emotional sermon you got when you were at youth camp because you wanted to go see that hot chick that was at youth camp with you. It wasn't some incantation prayer that you repeated verbatim, word for word from the preacher who thought that you were right there on the cusp of some emotional moment. It was something real, something authentic, something transformative that happened so much that Elizabeth burst out just from the baby Jesus in the womb, not even a month old, in the 13-year-old girl that was standing in her house. If the one-month-old or less baby can make this reaction in Elizabeth, what should it do in us? 
What could it do in us? Blessed are you among women. I'd say so. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. 43, and why am I so honored? Notice the humility in both of them. You want to meet Jesus? You want to have Jesus impact your life? You will never get away from humility. And humility is a cuss word in today's society. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Who told her? (laughs) These are people that uniquely were connected with God. These weren't just random folks that God was playing uh, flip a coin up in heaven and tiddlywinks like, I don't know, let's say, Elizabeth, you can do this with John the Baptist and I don't know, Mary, how about you? Because a lot of people think it's like that, like the lottery in heaven. Well, you know, some people get blessed and some people have a great life and some people get things from God and other people, you know, I'm just like poor old Job's going to suffer my whole life. Just so you know, poor old Job got back double everything that he lost And they likely believe, the scholars believe, that the book of Job took a whopping nine months. So if you're going to be like poor old Job, I'm okay. You better get over it in nine months and get your stuff back. And I ain't got, I'm not going to look at Doc Ryan. I have not got time to do any exegesis on the book of Job, but I just made a big mess right there. Go watch some of his YouTubes and he'll figure it out. But this is not, God doesn't play those kind of games to where he just picks and chooses and, and you're going to have a bad life and you're going to have a good life and you're going to have a bad life and you're going to have a good life. No, God responds to our desire to have his grace in our life. The scriptures say that Mary found grace. Mary found grace. You don't find things you're not looking for. What are you looking for? This is important. Jesus gave you a promise. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. What you seek, you will find. Before I met Jesus, when I was on the road of Steve Castle, you know what I was seeking? A girl and a good time. Guess what I found? Over and over. The promise works both ways. If you're, seeking, if you're seeking a broken life, if you're seeking addictions, if you're seeking misery, if you're seeking condemnation, if you're seeking shame, you'll find it. Whatever you seek, you find. Mary was seeking the grace of God, and boy, did she find it. You can be like Mary. You can go after the grace of God, and I can assure you, God will not leave you empty-handed. The Christmas present that she got is the same Christmas present that you can have. And your heart, your womb can be filled with the Savior just like hers was. And your whole world can change just like hers did. And why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should come to me Verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. All right. 
I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna look up at the camera so I don't look at any faces. So you can, you can give me ugly face and I won't even know it. This way. <laughs> this word joy here is agalesis. And this word, the definition of this word is to literally have ecstatic, wild joy with exaltation and exhilaration. It's like it's so much that it makes you do stuff. And do you know how easy it is in today's society for people to try to be as rigid as possible in a church service? I cannot believe those people are raising their hands. Those are a bunch of weirdos. Is that person dancing? What is wrong with them? Are they having an emotional experience with God? Pfft. God would never have us have an emotional experience. <laughs> this must be one of them spirit-filled Pentecostal churches. <laughs> Darn grandkids drug me into the wrong church. <laughs> Let me say this. Both the babe, John the Baptist, and Elizabeth were a little Pentecostal. The things of God were so real and so moving for them that the babe leapt and Elizabeth leapt. God was so cool. God was so great. God was so impactful in their life that it actually created a response. I know it's shocking to think that good things could actually create a response in someone's life. But, you know, the almost too good to be true news of Jesus Christ coming into a person's life who was, who was lost, who was damned, who was filled with darkness, who had destruction and misery that, were, that was headed down the gateways of hell on a grease track as a fat train, and then Jesus stands in front of you and rescues you from that, and you say, Amen. I don't think what happened is what happened. There should be some legitimacy in the response that we have when we meet the Lord. And I don't think it's a one-time deal. I do a lot of mission work. And I'll go to Africa, and in Africa, you know, they don't have this, the same kind of comforts that we have here. And... and there's oftentimes no Wi-Fi. I know. <laughs> There's actually places in the world without Wi-Fi. Shocking. And no cell phone. And, no, and, and you just like have to be with humans. It's torturous. <laughs> and the first time I ever went to Africa was in 1999. And, that was my daughter. <laughs> You'll understand why. In 1999, I went to Africa for about a month. It was a mission trip for a second year in Bible college. And you can imagine in 1999, 
We'd never even heard of Wi-Fi. Cell phones were things that you used for a weapon. <laughs> Take that, you stupid cockroach. Oh, it's a Nokia, you can't break it. So obviously we didn't take that. And when I was in Africa, there was one time we were in one hotel that had a public phone, a pay phone. For all of you young people, you have to look it up. It was this thing and you put money in it. Money is like these little coins, it's hard to explain. <laughs> and a friend of mine who had money, because I was broke as a joke, Kay and I were believing God for groceries, for groceries. There was times we didn't eat, days. We didn't eat while I was in Bible college. And my richer, you know rich is a relative term? Anybody that's got more money than you is rich. <laughs> you ever notice that? And one of my rich friends had put $25 into his five minute phone call back to his wife. It's five bucks a minute to call from Africa to America in 1999. And five bucks in 1999 was actually five bucks, just so you know. And he had compassion on me, and he's like, hey, you want to call your wife? I'm like, stop it. Yeah, I want to talk to my wife. At this point, she's pregnant with my first child. I don't even know if she's eating. I didn't leave enough money or food for her to eat. Praise God for a good church. I'm in Africa doing the Lord's work. When we talked... I didn't say, hi, how you doing? <laughs> she knew and I knew that by the way that we communicated, there was a value being exchanged. And in just those few short words, I'm not a poet, so I'm sure I didn't say anything radical but I'll guarantee that she knew that my exuberance, my joy to speak to her, unplanned, was communicated and hers to me. And even to this day, when I get back from a trip like that, I don't just walk into the house and like, hey babe. There's an exuberance. I'm gonna leave it there. And that's K. That's just K. And she's awesome. But you know, all of you that know her, you know she's awesome. Amen. Wonderful. I'm honored to be married to her. 28 and a half years of covenant life together, and I can't wait for the next 200. It's going to get better and better and better. And K's got nothing on Jesus. If Kay made me choose today, if she stood up right now and said, choose me or Jesus, see you, woman. Like you, love you. Come back when you get your head screwed on. <laughs> Not leaving Jesus. Jesus is worth way more, and she's fine with that. In fact, one of the reasons that we have such a great marriage is because she feels the same way towards me. Yeah. The moment I'm done with Jesus, she's done with me. The only thing that makes us good is Jesus. The only thing good in me is Christ. The only thing good in her is Christ. But man, Christ is good in her. It's good in her. Her womb is filled. And I leap for joy 
to be around her. But I also leap for joy to get to worship my Lord. And I leap for joy to get to come in here and spend Sunday with you. And to do life together and to do the kingdom and, and to think about the things that are important and, and to actually work that way and to have intimacy with the Lord that has no emotional response but also to have intimacy with God that overwhelms you and reminds you that you were not worthy to be saved. It wasn't by your awesomeness that God decided to come into your life. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies of the cross, Jesus went to the cross. And there are people today that call themselves Christians that can walk up to that cross, they can see Jesus hanging on it, and they will flip him a middle finger and say, I'm doing my life my way and just stay out of my way. And then they'll check the box on the IRS form. Are you a Christian? Yep, I'm not Muslim. Christian. Christ in. Christ in. But you're going to do your schedule, your way, your life, your way, your marriage, your way, your parenting, your way, your money, your way. But he's Lord. Lord. L-O-R-D. Lord. He was Lord in this verse. He was so Lord that the baby and the mama both wept. Joy was real in these two when they met Jesus. Verse 45, blessed is she who believes that the Lord's word to her will be fulfilled. What was her joy based on? Warm fuzzies? She got... You know, an, an angel, an invisible angel in the spirit poked her in the ribs and woo! I don't know what that was. Her joy was based on something that anyone in this room can have just as much of. Blessed is she who believes that the Lord's word to her will be fulfilled. Do you believe? Do you believe that God's words to you, God's promises to you, do you really believe? Do you really believe? If you do, you have joy. Amen. And if you're hearing me and you're like, you can. You can choose to believe today. No one can stop you except you. Her joy wasn't just based in the physical presence of a one-month-old baby in her 13-year-old niece's womb. Beloved, please hear this. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the virtuous power that was flowing from Jesus. It wasn't a Shekinah cloud that moved in and saturated everybody. There wasn't angels flying over, dropping feathers and pixie dust on everybody. There, there wasn't goose bumps and duck bumps on top of them. There was a knowledge, there was an awareness that the one that was going to keep his word was now flesh and blood. And we were about to see the promise come to pass. 
and joy was the response on that special day. Today's a special day. Then Mary, in response to the blessing of her aunt, said, my soul magnifies the Lord. You know, your soul is a magnifier. Got a lot of people going, re-going through the Soul Success series. And please, if, if you're in here and you, you know your soul is not right, we will give everyone in here for free a copy of the Soul Success series. You can plug that sucker in your car and listen to my melodic voice all day long, nonstop. God bless you. And the success in your soul will dictate how your life goes. Right. Oppressed, depressed soul, destructed person. Prospering soul, prosperous life. And Mary said, I am magnifying the lordship of, the, of this in here. How is that Lord? There was something way more going on here than just a little baby. There's something way more going on on Christmas than a baby, y'all. Something was real to her that was more real than just the fact that she believed her womb was filled. Most, most pregnant gals will tell you, I mean, you really don't know until you know, and it's probably not right away. You might know, but you don't know. You kind of know. Today, you get a little stick that tells you, two lines or one line or whatever. Back then, you either knew or you didn't, and you waited it out. She believed, so she knew. And because she knew, she decided to magnify what she knew. Her soul magnified the lordship of this invisible inside person. Oh, listen to me, Christian. Her soul magnified the invisible inside person that nobody knew she had. But it was just as real as those chairs you're sitting on. You can magnify with your soul whatever you desire to magnify. You want to magnify your failures? You want to magnify your oppression, your depression? You want to magnify all the bad things in your life? You want to magnify that terrible thing that that terrible person did to you when you were five and carry the weight of that for the rest of your life? You can magnify away. Go ahead. Your soul was built to magnify. Or you can magnify the invisible, unseen person on the inside of you who desires to lord your life. My soul magnifies the Lord. And verse 47, my spirit, egaliason, in God my Savior. Same thing, same word, same derivative. Her spirit had going on in it the same thing that her body did in that moment. Which produced which? Because we live in a world that we think that the external circumstances and the external experiences are what's going to produce the internal. If everything in my life is right, then I'll have joy. 
If everything is right, and what I really mean by saying that is if everybody in my life does exactly what I want them to do, then I'll be happy. If the government does what I want it to do, if my money does what I want it to do, and my spouse. <laughs> if they all do what I want, good life. Right? Happy wife, happy life. Yet, can I say that for Mary, externally, circumstantially, it wasn't awesome. You're 13, you're engaged and pregnant. You think it's a black eye in today's society, you should go back to a society that stoned people for doing that. To death, stoned to death. Not stone like 2023 in Las Vegas. Stone to death. <laughs> Yet she was so aware of what her calling was, what her destiny was, what was on the inside of her, the promises that were going to be fulfilled, that none of her circumstances and none of her environment had more impact in her than just the reality of a savior that was coming into the world. And let me take this up one notch. I don't think that she was super concerned about it being her savior. I think she was more concerned about it being the savior. She actually cared for other people. Imagine that. Imagine caring more for other people than your own circumstances. Imagine her not being so concerned about being an unwell, unwed pregnant 13-year-old and actually thinking, whatever I got to do to protect this because this is going to save the world. And if I got to hide, and if I got to fast, and if I got to have bony fingers pointed at me by the prophets that don't like me, if I got to go through all that, but I actually bring forth the Savior of the world, it's worth it. Every moment, it's worth it. Is it worth it to you? Or are the pressures of life and the circumstances that surround you, are they taking away the joy that should be authentic on the inside of you? Verse 48, for he, God, has looked with favor on the humble state of his servant. You know, normally when a person says, I'm humble, that's a cue that they're probably not. But yet the Bible confirmed as canonized scripture that what Mary said is what Mary said and God agrees. You know, you can actually be humble and know it. You should be able to actually be the version that God wants you to be and know that you are. Mary knew that she was. And I'll remind you, She's 13. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we've been doing it ever since. Luke chapter 2, the story continues in verse 1. Now in those days, we went from those days to those days. So these are a little bit different days. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the whole empire. You know what we call this? Income tax. It was April 15th. You're paying, or you're going to pay for it. 
It's amazing how much politics and government got involved in the gospel story that a lot of people just want to pretend like it's not there. It's there. Now, a lot of churches don't want to deal with it because they think for some reason politics and government don't have anything to do with people's lives. And I can guarantee you that everybody in here, you're being affected by politics and government. We are supposed to be impacting that world and not have that world impacting our world. We're supposed to take the kingdom into all the world. This was the first census to take place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem, since he was from the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary. Just so you can pick up the story, in these days, Mary's nine months pregnant. 13-year-old girl, maybe 14. Nine months pregnant. Still unmarried. Now even more an eyesore to all of the religious hypocrites that were very common among that time, just like in today's time. And here's this 14-year-old girl, nine months pregnant, walking 90 miles in a desert to go pay her taxes. I think about these times when people whine to me about their terrible Christian life. The hardships that we endure as American Christians in the freest land ever in one of the most prosperous times of all of humanity. I cannot believe that you had one ply toilet paper at Beloved Church. How much suffering do I have to do for Jesus around here? I'm not even going to give you an offering in the offering now if you had had real toilet paper. We've had people quit our church when we were in the funeral home because the seats were hard. And I know nobody in here has any of this going on, but I want you to consider a 14-year-old girl walking 90 miles in a desert, sleeping on the side of the road so she can go pay taxes to an ungodly government so she can fulfill the call of God on her life and rescue humanity. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to him in marriage and was expecting a child. Notice pledged to him. Pledged. That's a big word. Pledged. They weren't engaged. They weren't a couple of kids that were making plans. They were pledged. Biblically and spiritually, they were already married. In God's eyes, their vow sealed it. God cares a ton about covenant. 
Covenant is very, very important to God. And it's important to God's people. And the destruction of marriage in our society, the destruction of sexuality in our society, the, even the destruction of gender, which I didn't know that sexuality, that your, your sexual orientation and gender, they, I mean, they've added words to the dictionary that never, once, that never existed and redefined them just to come up with new creative ways to destroy what God put together. What God put together were people committed by a vow. You know, Adam and Eve didn't have a marriage license. They had a God. You know what holds a covenant together? God. You know what holds a contract together? Ink. Get you a good lawyer. You can dump that woman, get you a newer model. It's just ink. Just ink on paper. What's funny is I've talked to young people about this. They're like, ah, it's just a marriage life, just ink. I'm like, then do it. If it's just ink, do it. Because you know it's not just ink. You know when you're actually getting married that you're doing something that's bigger than ink. You know you're committing, you're vowing to something that's bigger than what the world tries to make it out to be. Your heart convicts you that what you're doing is something that's divine. You know, marriage covenants are one of the only things that was ever given to humanity in perfection. Before there was sin, there was covenant of marriage. Why do you think the devil hates it so much? Every time one of God's people gets into a covenant and they honor the covenant and they honor each other in the covenant, it is literally like sticking a finger in the enemy's eyes. You might have been able to deceive the whole world, you stupid snake, but you're not taking away my life. You're not taking away my covenant. You're not taking away my spouse and my family. He was, she was pledged to him in marriage. In her heart, she was married, and in his heart, they were married. Joseph was an honorable man. I wish to God we had some 17-year-old honorable men in today's society. We have some of the most emasculated, destroyed masculinity that's ever happened on the face of the earth, and they're proud of it. They're proud of it. If I can be proud to abuse a woman, I have literally become incarnate the person that is destroying humanity. I am Satan's pawn in the game of life. And it's common today. In the restaurant business, I had 1,500 people that worked for me. Most of them were girls. And it was normal to, have, to show up at one of my restaurants and see a girl with a black eye. And I'd pull her off to the side. Sweetheart, what happened? I fell. No, you didn't. Okay, it's that guy. And in every one of these situations, a couple of times, we had them come live at our house and stay with us to get them out of a terrible situation. And I remember thinking every single time, every single time, what kind of a man hurts a woman? What kind of a man hurts a child? 
I still to this day, and I've been a sinner, y'all, but to this day, I do not know how depraved a person can be in their soul to hurt a woman or to hurt a child. And that has to be spiritual. There is no way naturally you can get to that stage. Even basic humanity tells you. Basic humanity. I'm not even talking Christianity. I'm talking basic humanity teaches you that a man is supposed to protect and honor and value a woman and to protect and honor and value a child. Basic humanity tells you that. And we're Christians. We're supposed to be the premier of humanity. We're supposed to be the best part of what God created. We're the redemptive part of God's creation. And how often do I have to sit with people who are abused or doing abuse, who are dishonoring, devaluing their spouses and doing it on purpose, not even accidental, on purpose. And I, I honestly struggle to try to figure out how a person can legitimately call themselves a person of God and not have the basic principles of loving your spouse and loving your children. The basic principles, the basic human principles. And it's become common in our world today. And I would just exhort you, don't be like the world. Honor the things that God has given you. While they were there, the time came for her child to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough. The bread of life was born in a feeding trough. The king of the universe, the Lord of lords, was born in a barn. And we just don't think these things through because we have this version of, Christian, of Christmas. It's glitter and it's lights and it's pretty and it's... That's not the version. This was likely a 14-year-old girl laying on a barn floor, rolling around in animal feces giving birth to the creator of the universe who had no running water, no shower, no handmaid, and was laid in a manger. Jesus' humility. Jesus' lowliness will make the best of us cringe. This is how he chose to come. You know, he could have flew in on a space shuttle and he could have jumped out and said, I'm God, worship me. But instead, he was born on the floor of a barn, mingled with fecal matter and hay in the dark, in the night, with nobody there, no value, 
and the world not even aware. That's your Lord. And there were shepherds residing in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Just FYI, shepherds don't watch flocks at night. They don't. They put them in the sheepfold at night and sleep. I know you're shocked to hear this because most of you like to abuse your pastors, but shepherds have to sleep too. <laughs> okay, you'll catch that on Tuesday when you listen to the recording. These shepherds, something was unique. Something was going on. There was something that was different, A, about the shepherds and also about the time that made these shepherds be in the field that night. They should have been at the sheepfold sleeping with all the other shepherds, but something was unique this night. <laughs> and something was unique about these shepherds. And let me tell you, I can say this for a fact that, that all the folks at Beloved Church that shepherd, we have tons of disciplers here, Doc Ryan, all the people that I know that I'm close to, these are the unique kind of shepherds. They're the ones that watch for your soul at night when it's easy for the wolf to come. They're the ones that are gonna stay up when it's hard. We're not hired hands. I don't check in and do beloved church pastoring and check out and go about my cool, awesome, super amazing life. These shepherds were the ones that God chose. Why? Because they were actually doing the things that God needed them to be doing. If you ever want God to show up in your life and do amazing, supernatural, miraculous things, give you experiences like you've never had, then be doing what he needs you to do when nobody else is doing it. Then he can show up. Just then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were, woohoo! They were terrified. Why? They were shocked that an angel showed up because they were just supposed to be watching sheep. Humility. Then the angel of the Lord stood by them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. You know the first thing that heaven's gonna say to you in every moment of your life? Fear not. You know the first thing the enemy's gonna say to you when he shows up in your life? Fear. You better fear. Did you see the price of gas? <gasps> What about that inflation? What are we gonna do? Honey, we're not gonna make it. Do you see what they're doing at the, did you see what the Supreme Court just did or didn't do? Take your pick. Why? Every time, fear, fear, fear. I don't know, are we gonna make it? It's gonna get worse, it's gonna get terrible. I don't know. And we connect ourselves to what the enemy's doing and completely disregard what God wants to do in our lives. But the angel said to them, do not fear, for behold, look at here. That's what behold means, good Texan. Look at here, I bring you good news. If you're a shepherd and you smell like sheep and you're tired 
and this happens, probably one of your thoughts is like, good news. Are you for realsies right now? Do you know what I'm doing? You know, God knows what you're doing and he's still got good news for you. You might want to call good news that God brings to you the same good news <laughs> that he calls it. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself being motivated by the bad news. What was the good news? Great joy. That's a, that's a weird thing to hear when you're a shepherd. Can you picture this? You're just out, like, trying to keep one eye open, watching sheep in the middle of the night. And then, wham, angel shows up. I got good news and great joy. Am I on candid camera? <laughs> this word great joy is, is kara, which is where all of us have heard the word charis, which is grace. This is, this is literally the good news of I'm bringing an experiential grace to you. What was this experiential grace that they were bringing? The news. <laughs> we miss this. We were like, well, they go see the baby. And then they're all happy because they've seen the baby. Okay, they've seen a baby. <laughs> let's, let's not get weird here. The great grace that was available for them to experience was the news. Okay, I was hoping for more than that. They told them the truth, the news. They gave them a promise. These angels were revealing something that they never would have known. That was the grace, that was the awesome part. It wasn't seeing the baby. <laughs> it was the news. The good news was what created the opportunity for them to experience the grace. You experience the grace, you go see the baby. Today in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. Can I say this, that he was a savior while he was in a manger needing to be saved? You know, if he didn't have his mama, and I'm not going into biology, but if he didn't have his mama, there'd be no savior. If he didn't have Joseph protecting him, you know, the king wanted him dead. Lots of people wanted him dead. Don't you know Satan wanted him dead? All of you that roam around and say, well, boy, you know what the, Lord, what the enemy's doing to me all this week? Really? Let me tell you about a baby. A savior was born. Was he a savior or not? Who had he saved at this point? You know, God's identity of you is not contingent on your actions, your goodness, your success all the gold stars that you get on your chart. God's identity of you is God's identity of you, period. Because his identity of you is what his identity of you, you now have the power to live up to all the things that he's calling you to do. But I don't care what you see in the mirror. What you see in the mirror is not what God sees. I would exhort you 
to get your image and his image in parallel. It's going to be a lot more beneficial for your life. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Lord at his birth. Nobody inaugurated him. He didn't have a chariot. Nobody voted for him. It was a cheated election. <laughs> you'll, you'll catch that later too. He was Lord. Right there, right then, in a manger, covered in fecal matter and hay and afterbirth and blood and Lord. Lord. What God calls something is likely not equivalent to what it looks like to you. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Uh, this is a side note, but you want peace in your life? You know, people pay two, three, four hundred dollars an hour to go sit with some psychoanalyst to tell them how to have fake peace. And then they get mad when you take an offering at a church. It's silly to me. You cannot, peace is one of the only things that cannot, cannot be synthesized. There's no fake version of peace. You either have peace or you don't. You can have fake kindness. We call it nice. Hate nice. You can, you can have fake love. We call it sex. You can, you can fake all the other stuff. Joy, right? You can go watch a comedian cuss and, yeah, yeah, that was fun. You can't fake peace. You can't. There's no faking peace. And the only way to peace is right here. It's by the favor of God. Peace comes from the favor of God. If you do not recognize the grace of God on your life, you do not have peace. Then the angels had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing. <laughs> they called Jesus a thing. People do it today. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, did the Lord make it known to them? I thought he was in a manger. Uh-oh. You're going to have to deal with that in your theology. So they hurried off. <laughs> I love that. They, they went fast. They sped to church. Okay. That was for all you, you faithfuls. They sped to church and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. After they had seen the child, they spread the message they had received about him. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. <laughs> hey, we were totally chilling in the field watching sheep at night. You were what? Just follow me. And then angels showed up. And they told us this awesome news. And they wanted us to go see a baby in a barn in a feeding trough. And, and we ran. And we seen them. And ta-da! 
What was amazing wasn't that. Something happened. They met a baby in a feeding trough in a barn, but they met Christ the Lord. They walked into a supernatural grace-filled environment, and what happened created such a story, such a proclamation of good news that everybody they told was amazed by the story. It's not amazing that there's a baby in a barn in a feeding trough. What's amazing is who that baby is. And they experienced him. They had that joy of experiencing the real God. And the shepherds returned and glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, which was just as the angel had told them. God was right. Just as God said, that's how it was. Let me, let me help this and put it in today's context. Here's what God says. By my stripes, you are healed. Well, not me. Okay. That's what the Bible says. The Bible, the word of God, God. God says by his stripes, you're healed. Well, I don't feel it. How do I know? How do they know? The Bible says, God says, that in Jesus, when you're a new creation, that you are righteous and truly holy. Ephesians 4.24. That's who you are. I don't feel righteous. I didn't ask you what you felt. You are righteous and truly holy in Christ. Well, if God would tell me that directly, <sighs> yep. You know, they believed that there was a baby in a barn in a feeding trough and ran off to see it. And because of it, their lives were nuked. And I'm telling you that Jesus, that same baby later up, grew up and took stripes on his back so you could be healthy. I don't know about all that. That sounds a little weird doctrinally to me. Okay. Are we righteous and truly holy now, or is that sometime in the future? You know, when we're in heaven, we'll be righteous and truly holy. Well, a lot of good that does, God. For you to be broken, jacked up people on earth, and then one day cross the magic ocean and go to pixie dust land, and then you're righteous and holy. You're righteous and truly holy right now. You are separated unto God, a sacred people, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, to sing and show the praises of God in your life now. What else did this radical, ecstatic, exhilarating joy show up as? Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. But about the son, the father says, I know it says he there, but I'm, I'm giving you context. About the son, the father said, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. 
and justice is the scepter of your kingdom. If you're in the kingdom of God, you are in the plan of God for justice. Those of you that are really worried about how stuff's gonna work out, are you gonna get justice in your life? Are you in the kingdom? Then yes, God knows how to balance the books. Jesus was a Jew, or part Jew. Jews are good with numbers. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever, and justice is the scepter of your kingdom. You, Jesus, have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. You know Jesus hated stuff? And this is important. We think Jesus is some some blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Hollywood-looking type sitting in the back of your church petting a sheep saying, oh, go and sin no more. Jesus hated wickedness. He hated that demons were hurting people. He hated death. One time he was minding his own business, stumbled across a funeral, and just raised the kid from the dead just cuz. Just cuz. Why? Because he hated death. He hated sickness. He hated disease. He hated demons. He hated the enemy. Jesus hated stuff. And we think that we have a better version of Christianity than Christ had. If you're kinder than Christ, you're doing it wrong. You should hate wickedness. You should hate things that go after the things you love. Listen, I love everyone in this room. But if you got one inkling of going over there and hurting my wife, you're about to find out what I hate. And I don't love Kay more than God does. Jesus hated wickedness and loved righteousness. If you don't have both of those, you are unbalanced. And because Jesus was perfectly balanced, what did God do? He gave him the oil of joy. He anointed him with the oil of joy, specifically above all of his companions. Jesus was the most joy person in every crowd he ever was. If you showed up to the 10,000 people that were at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that lasted three days, which, by the way, most Christians today would never go to that message, three-day message in a desert with no porta johns Not me. I'm going to the buffet. If you showed up to the meeting and you said, I got a real major need. Where's the master? They'd say, oh, it's the guy with all the joy. Find the guy with the most joy in the whole room. There's Jesus. Find the Christian in the room with the most joy and you found Christ. You know how popular it is now to be a Christian and to perfect the lemon sucking face? <laughs> What's wrong with you, brother? Oh, let me tell you. I just, I just don't think life could be more terrible, but praise the Lord. You're doing your Christianity wrong, way wrong, bad wrong, opposite wrong. That's the worst version of Christianity. You know the unsaved person that's filled with oppression and depression and, and angst and anger and all that? And when they see you, they're like, man, thank God I served Jesus. If I served that guy's God, I'd be worse. 
There are people in the world that look at Christians and say, I'm going to keep my God because their God stinks. Because they've seen your face. They've seen your marriages. They've seen your children. Oh, if that's what it is to be a Christian and raise jacked up broken kids and have a jacked up broken marriage and be poor, that's what it's supposed to be to be a Christian? I'll keep my Satan. We're supposed to be the expression of God. There should be something attractive to us. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Not the brokenness of humanity that leads people to God. We're supposed to see the goodness of God operating in people's lives. Now, you ain't got to be perfect at it. And God doesn't judge you if you got X number of dollars, you're awesome, and X number less. I'm just saying that if your life is being negatively impacted by all of your circumstances, then the God on the inside of you is probably not bigger than your circumstances. You might want a better God. His name is Christ. And he was Lord at his birth. If one's version of Christianity does not have joy that is authentic, perpetual, and irrational. I labored over that word. I spent about six hours doing this. I labored over the word irrational because I'm a very rational person. God gave you a brain on purpose. And I cannot stand people that think that they're so spiritual they can be stupid. You're, if you're spiritual, your brain works better, not worse. But irrational joy makes sense because it's not based in the rational. There's something that's more real than the national. There's something that's more real than biology, than economics, than politics. There's something irrational about the joy of the Lord. You know what? I'm going through something right now, but let me tell you. The joy of the Lord is my strength right now in the bad times. Well, brother, that's not very wise. That's not very rational of you. All right, I have irrational joy. Whatever, stay out of my way. Hide and watch. I'm going to overcome. One's version of Christianity, if one's version of Christianity does not have joy that is authentic, perpetual, and irrational, which is not stemming from external circumstances or people, then they are not doing it as Christ did it. They're doing it wrong. If your Christianity doesn't have joy, you're missing a piece of Christ. Loving righteousness and hating evil creates this kind of radical Christmas morning joy. I'm going to end with the last version of this word of joy. It was only used five times in the whole Bible, just so you know. Five times. Both two of the times were in Luke chapter one. But let me give you one of the most important places that this version of joy was used in the Bible. And this is one of our life verses here at Beloved. So if you want to know what the culture of Beloved is, if you're if you're trying to figure it out, if you're new here, if you're a guest, if you still haven't got all the way in the water, let me tell you what the culture of beloved church is. We got it right out of the Bible. And, and ironically, this word joy is a part of it. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. And then I'm done. So all of you that are suffering, it'll be over in a minute. 
With one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple. They went to church every day. You know, I could pull the average Christian, the average good Christian, the above average Christian and say, hey, you should go to church every day. They would probably gouge my eyes out with a pencil. <laughs> you know what these people wanted to do? They actually wanted to be together every day. The, the people at their church weren't a chore, they were a joy. <laughs> Radical church they had there. That's the kind of church that was in Kay and I's heart when we planted Beloved Church. With one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple courts and break bread. They ate together. Now that should get an amen from everybody. This is where Christianity got it. If we're together, there's food. I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't know why gluttony is a sin, but God somehow said gluttony is a sin, but every time you get together, I want you to have food. Amen. It's one of those oxymoronic. In the temple courts and broke bread from house to house. Whoa, 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 whoa. They were at the church and at other people's houses? You mean I have to clean my house? I have, to, I have to be hospitable? People have to actually come and invade my life? What if they see how I talk to my children outside of church? Yep. Yep. What if they see how I treat people in my home? Yep. There was real accountability in these churches. Hey, uh, it's great to see you at church. I'll be over Monday. We're going to spend all day together, me and you. Huh? <laughs> Pastor's coming to my house. Does he know I have a dog? And break bread from house to house, sharing their meals with sorrow, with piousness, with anger that somebody's at your house. When are these people going to leave? <laughs> How many times can you play skip ball before you're done? <laughs> Eating their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. You know what the word gladness is? Joy. The joy that was in that manger that affected the angels, that affected the shepherds, that affected the teenage couple that carried the Savior in the world. The same joy that changed the whole world is supposed to be experienced face to face as people of God get together and do life. And we've missed a whole chunk of Christianity because we checked the box on going to church and then go back to our real life later on. We're not doing it right. And because of it, we're not having the joy that we're supposed to have. I pray these words affect you because I want you to be filled with the joy of the Lord because it is your strength. And this is why a lot of people are tired and whooped and not victorious in life because they don't have the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. You want to experience that? 
Get with God's people. Break bread. Be authentic. Be sincere. Let someone tell you that something in your life is wrong and work it out with them. Be a disciple. Receive the truth. And above all else, go and actually experience he who was Lord at his birth and Savior of the whole world. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.